Hello, I'm your host, Matt Muscardi, and today on ESG Now, it's a vacation week in the U.S., at least. It's July 4th here, so everyone is off doing their thing, including Mike, your regular host and producer. I'm left behind, but I'm left behind in good hands. Bentley Kaplan, our South African ESG prodigy, is with me, and we're going to do two quick stories from this week. And first up, big news from Tesla as it actually delivered some cars. And our second story, Wayfair, a online retailer, is feeling the pinch, but it's feeling it from its employees. So we're going to get right into it. Let's roll. First up, Tesla. Tesla rates an A for us, down from AA last year. Governance has been a problem for the company. Recalls have escalated, and labor, which was already fairly problematic, might get more so with planned layoffs. Basically, it's a company moving from innovative startup to execute and deliver territory. And the news this week, Tesla announced record delivery of its cars for the quarter. And that's good news for this company, right? Execute and deliver, right? Tesla delivering record quarter for sales, for vehicle deliveries and sales and deliveries. Are they back? Is Musk back? Well, I mean, I, I yeah, I think everyone wants to see Tesla succeed uh, for the sort of planet's sake, EV sake, whatever the case is. Um, I think the... It's a, it's a, the, the bar is low for, you know, the output. So I think it's, it's one of those, like, it's a positive sign. I think everyone's so desperate for good news um, that this is the kind of thing that, you know, a lot of people are going to cling to and say it is, it is turning around. Um, I think the, the, what we highlighted for a while now is the, the quality concerns. So if you are, you know, if you are all of a sudden trying to push your volume you know what? You know what gets cut. What shortcuts do you take? Do you? But it is. But uh, the Tesla uh, yeah. might get a bad rap for for product quality kind of questions. I think the labor questions are legitimate questions. But their crash tests historically and their most recent ones have all been like you know by every regulatory standard they are top. They're near the top mm. of every benchmark mm. for all their crash tests. So the actual product they put on the road, you know, meets every regulatory criteria. I, I actually think that the more Tesla can do this, the more it matters because it it limits the viability of sort of the ripoff, you know, competition. Tesla can own that market share and that product. They become sort of the apple of cars. Yeah, yeah. I think it's an interesting point you raise about uh, sort of leadership and, you know, when, you know, do the revolutionaries stay and run the government or do they do they duck out, you know, once the revolution's over? Um, and, I, you know, I think there's a interesting question there. Like, is it is now a good time to bring in someone like, heaven forbid, but like Carlos going to like run Tesla and, you know, take it big? Or is it like, is it Apple? Do you just let Steve Jobs, you know, shout at people in the elevators um, and then, you know, just hope he's going to get it right at some point? And I think we'll, like, we'll only know in five or ten years' time. I actually think people forget the original iPod, the original iPhone, all had massive supply problems, couldn't get them out, bugs that they needed fixing. I think if you have a longer perspective on like the ebbs and flows of innovation, all Tesla needs to do is, you know, 
it's okay if they come back and forth, but they need to basically do what they're doing this quarter every once in a while and continue to eat away at that market. I think it could be a big deal. I think it could be a big deal over time um, for them to to be you know executing on the plan. I think the labor is going to be their problem, as it was for Apple, right? With Foxconn, labor yeah, was yeah. their problem, and it was a hidden problem there too. Labor will be Elon mm. Musk's problem because they need to execute, and usually at the cost of something, and that's generally labor who pays that price. But over time, you know, five years from now, you may be looking at like a totally different, you may be looking at Tesla in a totally different way, not as like a failed innovator or a crazy guy running a company. You may be looking at them as like the standard for the way cars are supposed to be built. And um, all everybody else is sort of like a generic brand. Next up, there's an emerging theme we've been watching around labor and the gig economy, and we're not the only ones watching it, but this time it's focused on a sort of semi-obscure online retailer, Wayfair. It's a founder firm with a CEO, Naraj Shah, holding 81% of the voting power. Wayfair rates triple B, middle of the pack for consumer discretionary retailers, but they rank in the top quartile for labor management, which makes this story a bit more interesting because... Employees at Wayfair are protesting. They walked out when they found out that the online retailer was selling office equipment to detention centers at the border. These same detention centers are at the center of controversy for the Trump administration in the U.S. as they're detaining Mexican immigrants trying to cross into uh, the United States. So what is the CEO to do here? And that's what I want to talk to Bentley about because this is a problem. Right. Uh, it, what I like about the Wayfair uh, walkout, which is which is different to your like your average you know employee uprising about working conditions, is that it was uh, a political question. Um, I mean, so obviously you know if the company is doing something terrible and employees have a moral objection, it seems like a straightforward thing. But if it's this like a, quite a like a, um, a sort of bipolar political environment like the US now you so if if the company then caves to what you know one group of employees is pushing for then they're, they're also actively against what you know another subset of their employees is is doing so i mean i read a, a bit about the saying you know, the company values uh, a company should signal its values to employees and employees saying i think some of the spokespeople for this movement saying the company's not mirroring our values so that's a problem for us um so like it's the, the, I don't know, I don't know what the end point then is whether you say like you know we're we're Wayfair we're a, a a Democrat company so if you're Republican don't come and work for us and then you know then they'll be you know strongly left on whichever issues they want to be on um, so I think I would I do not envy the CEO or the management right now because almost like anything they do or say is going to be aggravating you know one side or another. Um, and they can't put the toothpaste back in the tube now because now they've they've got to say something. They've got to do something, um, and I think it's almost impossible to get it to get it totally right. Um, but I think the so there's two parts. The one is that you know that political stuff, which is really complicated, and the other one, which is um, the the sort of the uprising and the social media side of it, which I think is super interesting, and that's definitely something um, that companies should be concerned about because you you know. Workers now have much bigger platforms, gets into new cycles, and then you know get straight back to investors, and that's I think that's where the pressure comes in for the company. 
It's fascinating because the opinion piece that I read was basically CEOs should now be in a position to fear their employees. I mean, is that a yes. good thing? Because even Wayfair has like strong labor management biometrics. Is this a good thing or is this a problem? Is this like, is this like a symptom of something bigger that we should be watching? Well, um, I, th I think the, so, so the, the, you know, something that gets into a news cycle isn't necessarily going to have an impact. I think, um, you know, I think the, should CEOs, you know, fear their employees? Um, I think it's, a, it's also a relative thing, right? So in, in you, you kind of, this, it says something about a company where workers feel like they can say something and they can have the CEO listen to them. Um, and, uh, you know, maybe that's better than a company where there is just no dissent, no speaking out. Um, and, um, you know, and, and that might have some, some impact, but I don't really know. I don't even know if you can, if you can say it's a CEO should be scared of their employees. I don't think they should. Um, but I think they're, they are going to have to get used to being in front of spotlights, in front of cameras, um, and just getting, you know, a whole lot of blowback for basically whatever they say, because they have to pick, you know, in some way, pick one side or another, or just say, we absolutely refuse to engage with anything, which is, it seems like an impossible thing nowadays. I mean, yeah, there's so many stakeholders that actually can affect a corporate performance. And mm. we kind of wrote about this in the trends paper where like CEOs used to be sort of a semi-permeable membrane between markets and their employees. That was it. Like those were, you know, they managed, would manage regulators and governments a little bit too, but really their primary drivers were answer to shareholders and communicate to their employees, like what the strategy was. And now seems like that the role of the CEO is to be um, a feedback loop with its employees. Like it needs to be, it's not a one-way conversation. The employees have a way to talk up and, that they never have before, even with unions, right? Unions were almost antagonistic, mm. but this is like, this is almost a way to talk up at an individual democratized level. Like you don't need a union to affect change, which I think was part of the end of the podcast, right? Do you, is the union the answer of the future? Wayfair is like this example suggests maybe not. Maybe actually it just all mm. you need is a social media network because that's you can affect the same change potentially just by organizing in in new modern channels. There's so many stakes and then you're balancing that against like you know, issues like climate change and like these systemic global issues and income inequality, which every CEO is like coming out and talking about now. This, the role yeah, of the CEO yeah. is just drastically different than I feel like it's ever been. It's it's kind of like, uh, you know, companies maybe in the past could have had like their, you know, who who are we as a company? Like we, we believe in, you know, an open economy and, you know, no, no slave labor. Whereas now, you know, you've got to have like a card that's like 65 rows long and then say, you know, this is where we stand on abortion. This is where we stand on, you know, gun control. This is where we stand on. You know, X, Y, Z. And I, I think it's that's, it seems like that's be, where it's going. Yeah, it's going to be like a giant political platform. Um, and you can't yeah. get away without having it. That's our week. I want to thank Bentley Kaplan for stepping in, as always. His voice is like the murmur of ESG angels. Also, thanks to our editorial team here at MSCI ESG Research. If you want to read more about these companies, let us know. Reach out. If you didn't know already, we actually produce like 
research on this stuff, a ton of research, lots and lots of it. In fact, I mentioned our trends paper when I was talking about modern CEOs. That paper is available on MSCI.com. You should stop. You should read it. It's interesting. Also, subscribe and rate us. We need, crave, demand validation on a weekly basis. So tune in next week for more news with an ESG twist. We'll see you then. Um, so let's flip the switch um, to something uh, totally different. Um, can I ask you what you know about, I think it's Psyche 16, Psyche 16? Yeah, which which I thought, I mean, I uh, when you first mentioned that, I thought it was like some kind of um, progressive hip-hop project, but it's not. <laughs> So it's an asteroid like somewhere off the coast of Jupiter. Um, and it apparently houses, and this is scientific estimates based on like wavelengths and, you know, whatever they can, they're measuring. Um, because I am a scientist, clearly. I, you, you can yeah, trust exactly. me. Um, uh, 11 quintillion dollars worth of gold. This like this reminded me of some. There was another discovery. I think it was maybe four years ago, or five years ago, of this huge um, reserve of of peat, um, p a t peat, uh, in the Congo. I think it was discovered, um, which is like this, you know, compressed dirt that you know you can then technically use for energy. Um, and I'm a whiskey drinker, and you know, one of my primary concerns was that they would, you know, they're, they're going to run out of peat in Scotland and Ireland because it's this quite rare resource and this. You know, peaty whiskey is the thing that I have to drink. And then they found this, like, basically limitless supply of peat. And I thought, oh, my goodness. So at least we can keep having peated whiskey. But I don't know I don't know what that means for gold. And, like, um, you know, we you're can so keep having gold jewelry. It's not quite like, the same. You're so terrestrial. <laughs> you got to think bigger. You got to think about an astro, a floating asteroid of peat. That's, that is the for, that's the next frontier. Like, why stop here? Yeah. Yeah. The MSCI ESG Research Podcast is provided by MSCI Inc.'s subsidiary, MSCI ESG Research LLC, a registered investment advisor under the Investment Advisors Act of 1940. And this recording and data mentioned herein has not been submitted to nor received approval from the United States Securities and Exchange Commission or any other regulatory body. The analysis discussed should not be taken as an indication or guarantee of any future performance, analysis, forecast, or prediction. The information contained in this recording is not for reproduction in whole or in part without prior written permission from MSCI ESG Research. None of the discussion or analysis put forth in this recording constitutes an offer to buy or sell or a promotional recommendation of any security, financial instrument, or product or trading strategy. Further, none of the information is intended to constitute investment advice or recommendation to make or refrain from making any kind of investment decision and may not be relied on as such. The information provided here is as is, and the user of the information assumes the entire risk of any use it may make or permit to be made of the information. Thank you.